It is November 17th, and coming up on Dolph today, Jin Young Ko says the state of her game is almost perfect. Heading into the LPGA finale, what does that mean? Got us to thinking, what is the greatest example of golf's perfect game? And break out the pigskin, Joel Klatt joins the program, talking a little aces in the game, and also the golf equivalent to Alabama football. Plus the big man, Jason Kokrak, stops by to talk about his win in Houston. We ask him, would Kokrak give a crack at eating escargot? Major champ Sophia Popoff joins the show, and Sam Bennett of Texas A&M as well. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Happy Wednesday to all golf today. Damon Hack, Shane Bacon, D Hack got a big week on the LPGA tour as we conclude things at the CME. We've been talking about it all year long. We wanted to see a little tension, some big names in the season finale in Naples, Florida. Beautiful spot, by the way. If you've never been, I highly suggest you go, especially if you're living in the Northeast where it's a little bit chilly. I had frost on my windshield, but I digress. What a great venue, I think for the ladies to show their best stuff. Jin Young Ko has been playing some incredible golf as of late. And of course, she was the winner mm. here last year in 2020, hoping to kind of continue the great play this in 2020 at the CME Group Tour Championship. Just rips it in. Yeah, I was there, my friend. Uh, stole the storylines, beat Say Young Kim and all the rest. And this year, she's playing pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I feel really good, right? And my swing or my game is almost perfect. If some made more putts, I can do win again. Yeah, I will try to make a lot of putts today, <laughs> this week. Okay, look at the season comparison 2019. 12 events, 12 top 10 finishes, four wins, two of them. Major championship. Look at that scoring average, 69 and changed in 2021. Looks very, very similar. 18 events, 12 top 10 finishes, four wins, no majors, but you see that scoring average very, very close to what she did a couple years ago. Last six events, she's got win, T6, T2, win, win, T6. I mean, she's playing as good a golf as anybody in the world right now, and we talked a lot about Nellie Corda and the win that we saw on Sunday in that great playoff, but Jin Young Ko has been the pace setter in this mm. second part of the season. What Jin Young Ko's been able to do with her golf game, it's just been so complete. I mean, the lofty goals that she set for herself, it's been quite impressive to see someone kind of step up after what we saw from Nelly early in the season. It's easy to just go, 2021's going to be Nelly's year. Yeah. And for Jin Young to say, I, you know, I, I've still got a lot left in the tank, and I can go out there and at least challenge Nelly for best player of this season. It's been a great battle. It's been kind of the battle we hope to see in golf. And Junior Co. almost doing it as a part-time golfer over the last couple of years. 2020, she only played in four events and won the CME Group Tour Championship. This year, she's only played in 18 events so far. She had 22 events total in 2019. She's had 22 events total in 2020 and 2021 combined. And when she plays, she so often brings her best stuff. Just finishes near the top all the time. Yeah. And even when it's not a great week, even when she starts out kind of slow, she's able to find something on the weekend. She's one of those players that kind of throws that 64 or 65 in when things aren't going her way. And I mean, this is a type of player, talking about lofty goals, this is a player that's set up what she hopes to accomplish in a season and includes major after major after major after major win. What do you feel like you didn't accomplish that you wish you had? More major championship. Like U.S. Open and KPJ Championship and British and Grand Slam. 
and then I'm done. <laughs> so you just win all the majors in the Grand Slam, and then you're done. But, you know, perfect golf. We mm. talk a lot about perfect golf, playing perfect golf. It seems unattainable. Every player that goes out there and shoots a crazy number, they're always talking about the putt that didn't go in or, you know, something that wasn't perfect. You talk about David Duvall when he shot 59 in the final round. Says it's the easiest round of golf he's ever played because he was throwing it in there so close. But does this sport have perfection in it? Is perfection a part of golf? I don't think it is week to week, month to month, season to season. But I think there have been moments in the history of this game that have been nearly perfect. And I, I've covered Tiger Woods for for the bulk of his career, height of his power. And when you want to talk about the year 2000, I was actually covering the NBA. I was covering the Lakers and the Pacers in the final, but something was happening up the road from L.A. at Pebble Beach, and it was Tiger Woods taking apart this golf course in a way that we had never seen before. A 15-shot win, and I want to point to some of the numbers that he was able to compare to the rest of the guys that week. How about 51 greens in regulation? That's seven more than any other player in the field. How about 29.2 strokes gained against the field, the highest of any total in the U.S. Open since World War II? He was minus four on the par threes, minus four on the par fours, minus four on the par fives, first in every category. First in driving distance, first in greens and regulation. <laughs> Two bogey-free rounds. The other 155 players combined had one bogey-free round. I love this chart graphic that the USGA put out just highlighting what Tiger did back in 2000, the records that he set. I think the level of golf that Tiger played that week has never been equaled. To me, it is as close to perfect as this game has ever been played. Did it in the national championship, did it in the toughest golf tournament that we see week in, week out, year in, year out at a U.S. Open. Pebble was so tough that week. And we were talking yesterday about that Davis Love 64 in the final round at the players. And so many people talking about it being a perfect, near-perfect round of golf. Red yeah. Couple saying it's as good a golf as I've ever seen in front of me. Tiger Woods saying he played a different golf course. You talk about playing a different tournament, a different mm -hmm. championship that Tiger Woods faced. We had players battling for second place in the second-place leaderboard. But Tiger was playing a completely different round, a different course, a different environment. What he did that week, and I'm with you, was as close to perfect as we've seen. He was mentally perfect. He was physically perfect. The game plan was perfect on a perfect golf course. What a week that was for Tiger Woods. Only player under par. You're not supposed to do that at a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach or anywhere, and Tiger did exactly that. But how about you? Do you see a, a comparison anywhere, perfection in a game of uh, a crooked stick and dimpled ball, and the ball can go anywhere? You know, I, I'm throwing a little bit of a curveball, as I like to do. I mean, we could go through a lot of Tiger accomplishments in terms of perfection. You could throw out Jack's final round in 86 as mm. a near-perfect run, especially that second nine on Sunday at Augusta National. I'm going to go a different way, though. I'm going to go 87 open in the final round there. You remember Nick Faddle battling mm. out with Paul Azinger. Zinger had a one-shot lead head into the final round at Muirfield. And here's how bad the conditions were. Rick Riley wrote this for Sports Illustrated on Sunday. On the last day at Muirfield, in a Scottish mist thicker than a Slurpee at a Sarasota 7-11. Alliteration much from Rick Riley there. But it was brutal conditions. And this guy went out there and had not won a major championship and did exactly what was needed to be done. You talk about kind of separating the golf tournament into 18 holes, into 18 tournaments, right? And his was par after par after par. He didn't need a birdie in those conditions. I mean, I'm sure he would have loved to have a birdie, but when you think about what you have to do to get to that finish line, if you're running a marathon, how can I conserve energy to get to the last couple of miles? Faldo conserved the energy and got to 17. And when Zinger looked like he had the Open Championship at hand, he needed two pars over the last two holes to claim it, he eventually made those bogeys, and it was Nick Faldo who made par after par after par. And again, 
we talk about perfection, you think about birdies and eagles, and you think about what Tiger did at Pebble Beach, but perfection can look a little bit different. And when you're trying to win golf tournaments, you got to do what is asked of you to win that week. And Nick Faldo was perfect on Sunday in terms of what the what the question was and what his answer was. I also think he had perfect practice leading up to it. The, the work that he and David Ledbetter did on his golf swing to take him from being a great player, one of the best without a major championship, to someone who would ultimately win six major championships and end up in the World Golf Hall of Fame. The breakdown of his golf swing, the balls that they had to hit, the changes that he had to make with how he was bringing the golf club to hit the ball, it's one of the great stories in the history, in my opinion, in this game of someone who got the answers in the dirt, as Ben Hogan would say, who did everything that it took leading up to that championship and leading up to a major championship run that we saw from him from the mid-'80s to the mid-'90s. You know, Tiger is as close to perfect in golf as we have seen, and, and who knows if we will ever see anything close to Tiger again. That early 2000, his way in dominating a sport that's not a sport that's supposed to be dominated. But, you know, Nick, Nick Faldo is a great survivor in golf. When you really talk about players that can go out there and, again, just try to get to that tape, try to get to the finish line. You know, times players fell apart. And who was standing there? It was Nick Faldo, yeah. who played the great round on Sunday, who found a way late in these major championships to get a win. And, and when you're a great survivor, occasionally you get handed a tournament. And Nick Faldo was one of those players that always found a way to play well on Sunday when other players weren't bringing their best stuff. And you look at the way Zinger played on Sunday in those tough conditions, you know, in all those bunkers, was able to get it up and down almost enough times but it was Nick Faldo who made par after par after par after par in 87 in Muirfield to take home the Clara Jug. In 1996, a very similar story. Greg Norman, of course, a wobbly Sunday, shoots 78. And Sir Nick Faldo shoots 67, maybe one of the most underappreciated rounds in final rounds Masters history because people focus so much on Greg Norman's struggles that day, which is a big part of the story. But Nick Faldo would not let Greg Norman forget about him. And Nick Faldo threw his weight around on that Sunday and put pressure on Greg Norman in addition to the the pressure that Greg Norman was already feeling we to saw begin it on with. Sun we saw it on Sunday, Damon, with, with Lexi having those short putt yeah. misses, right? Yeah. Somebody's got to claim the title when those things happen. And you mentioned Faldo 67. Danny Willett mm. shoots 67 on Sunday. And sure, the focus at that Masters was about Jordan Spieth. But somebody's going to walk away with a green jacket. Somebody's going to walk away with a trophy at every golf tournament. And it's up to a player to go out there and step it up and make those birdies because you never know, right? You never know who's going to double 18. You never know who's going to shoot 40 on the back nine. And Faldo's 67. Danny Willett's 67. That stuff's really, really impressive. And you said it extremely underappreciated in the game of golf. Yeah, I look at that Masters video almost once a year. It's kind of one of my traditions leading up to the 96 Masters because it tells me about the joy and pain of this game. I want to be reminded of what it takes not only to win a major, but to lose a major. And the shots required and the toughness required and the occasional bad bounce and, and the underappreciated round that I thought Sir Nick Faldo was able to put on that day. Because he even knew in the press conference afterwards, most people would be talking about the collapse of Greg Norman. But it's important to remember what Sir Nick Faldo did on that day as well. Every collapse is typically kind of followed by somebody that played a great round. Absolutely. You think about what we saw, and I'm not going to call it a collapse because he had a great golf shot, but you think about Tom Watson and, and you know, tying Stuart Sink. And in that mm. playoff, it was Stuart Sink who went out there and played some really solid golf. But perfection unattainable in golf. But there have been, quote-unquote, perfect performances in other sports. You see baseball, you know, complete game by pitcher, but no base runners. That's, of course, the perfect game, if you will. Bowling, people at 300. Never close. And a lot of X's on the board. Football, 158. 
quarterback passer rating basketball you can have a perfect shooting performance from the field you know including free throws and three pointers yeah Tom Brady the last uh, quarterback to throw done it a couple times yeah, right perfect rating like three, yeah and then, three or four times three times for him but four for Peyton Manning and four for Big Ben you like the NFL we're talking perfect games on the show today so what is golf's version of a perfect game best response will be featured on the show we might have a couple already Got to be shooting a 59 on a Kassorn stamp. Louie, Louie knows. I'm, Louis I'm assuming Louie has probably shot a 59. Of course, Usain's so? not, not <laughs> Louie, Louie knows. He bets a burner. This is a match yeah, well, this golf. Is, this is about right. Michael Torbenson, yeah, performance at the championship match, 2021 Mass Amateur. That's 18 circles. It was an incredible performance. That guy is going to win a lot of professional golf tournaments. Or he's winning mm. a lot of amateur events to this point. How about Tony Fox hitting every fairway and green in regulation? Nothing worse than par and no three putts. I got a feeling he didn't like three putts. His handle is I hate three putts. Mention no three He's putts. He's got something Tony against three, like putts. three putts. I don't like three putts. I don't either. think anybody Nobody does. likes. Everybody's agreeing with Tony. All right, we got plenty more on the program coming up. The European Tour ends their season this week as Billy Horschel looks to become the first American to win the race to Dubai. But some comments from Horschel on Tuesday had the golf world a buzzing. We'll let you know what he said. We'll dive into it next. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. This season, don't just bet, live your bet life. And Srixon, introducing the new Z-Star Series. Need a soft, fast, responsive ball? No problem. And by Skechers. Be comfortable with Skechers Go Golf Elite 4 Victory Footwear worn by Matt Kuchar. With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. We're back on golf today. I hope you're having a perfect Wednesday. You know, yeah, talking you perfection there. today. Rolex Series concluding this week with the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai. Open champion Colin Morikawa looking to make history this week, becoming the first American to win the race to Dubai in addition to winning his second major at the Open. Morikawa also picked up a win at the WGC Workday Championship at the concession earlier this year. World number two leads Billy Horschel in the standings by 236 points. Yes, he does. Horschel will be battling it out with Morikawa for history this week. Horschel won the BMW PGA Championship flagship event in September and also added a WGC win to his resume winning the Dell Technologies match play. Let's take a look at the tee time Morikawa and Horschel 
couple teed up together in the first round, but Horschel made news yesterday with some comments on the PGA Tour that made it into his presser. I think Jay Monahan and Andy Pazner and their entire staff has done unbelievable work with trying to uh, take care of players, but I mean, if I give you my opinion of what I think should be done, I think we need to look at the tour as what's going to be sustainable in 25 years, and that's what the tour needs to do, and not so much worry about the Saudis or the PGL. Um, they need to do what's what's best for the PGA Tour, um, and I think, you know, in my mind, I think, you know, we should make the tour more competitive, and, and what I mean by that is that maybe instead of giving out 125 cards every year, we cut it down to 100. And if we cut down, you know, the Corn Ferry cards from 50 to 30, you know, you've got roughly 150 guys now. You make the fields 130, 120 maybe. Um, now you're getting, you know, players, the better players week in and week out. You know, guys aren't um, sort of just happy finishing 90th on the PGA Tour every year and collecting a million-plus dollars and, and that they're actually striving to be the best players on the PGA Tour. I think if we would change the way the money pays out, where the top 30, 40 guys get paid a lot of money, and then you know you don't get paid as much down the below, below. so it really and, uh, um, pushes guys to really do everything they can to be the best player that they can possibly be. And by doing that, I think that takes care of you know any other tour that comes competing the, uh, against the PJ Tour or the European Tour. So. Um, like I said, I think we're doing great stuff, but I think we need to make sure that, you know, we're looking at all scenarios before we do make an ultimate decision of the path forward. Steve, very, very interesting comments from Billy Horschel there. I feel like this has been something that's been floating around this year a lot, a lot of conversations about money and, and golf, especially the PGA Tour. Your thoughts on what Billy Horschel had to say? Did you hear that, that sound? Pay, money, money, pay, pay, money, money, pay. Is there anything that turns off? Sounds like a song. A sports fan more than talking about money. I, I, listen, we... we I think the sports fan wants to just appreciate the game and the sport for what it is. They want to believe that their athletes are, are you know, not worrying about the dollars and cents as much and that they're, they're fighting to win, they're fighting for history and playing for history. But this is, to me, a tale as old as time. You go back to the 60s and, you know, the small group of players wanting to break away from the PGA of America. You talk about Phil Mickelson saying, you know, why is the, the tour supporting opposite field events or why are we giving a head start to lower-rung players. And this was a conversation in the task force. You know, why should they get a head start in the fall events while the, the best players in the world want to rest up since most people want to watch us anyway? So I don't think this is anything new. Ben Hogan, for years, thought that only the top 10, 20 should be paid, period. And that if you finish below a certain number in a tour event, that you would not get paid. So to me, this has been a story as old as time. It's the haves and the have-nots. It's the best players wondering if they're carrying too much of the weight for some of the players that are in the 100, that 125 spot. I think uh, money is a conversation that we have probably too much, especially in golf. I'm not sure golf fans truly care how much money people take home at the end of the day because yeah. it's a number that once you get to a certain amount of money, once you get to $5 million, $10 million, $20 million, $30 million, can we make sense of the it? The folks at home can't relate to it's it. It's really, really hard to relate yes. to it. Yeah. And, you know, typically when you play well, you make more money, right? I mean, that's yeah. something we've seen. I think this has been something that's been talked about in other sports a lot is LeBron James paid enough. And I think a lot of NBA fans and NBA experts and journalists would say he's not paid enough for what he brings to the Lakers or the Cavs or the Heat, right? I mean, sure. LeBron's who you're paying tickets to go see. 
But with this, you're also paying role players as well because they're a part of the team. Golf, you don't have to be a part of a team. You're an individual athlete. I mean, Tom Brady makes a lot of money, but if his offensive line has to make some money, right? I mean, yeah. they've got to block for him and they got to do their job, and they're massively important to the team. I am just interested in, in where we're going with this. Where yeah. is this going to go? Because other leagues are popping up, and we're talking so much about money and who deserves the money, and it seems like it's always about the top players. And the one thing I didn't love about the comments from Billy Horschel is questioning how dedicated players are to their yeah, craft. Because yeah. some guys just aren't as good. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. You might not just be as good. And yeah. you might work every single second of every single day to be 80th on the PGA Tour. 100% And so when you start to question the dedication of a player, it's simply put, you might might not be able to ever be as good as Bryce. I, I, didn't, I didn't like that either. To say that the hundredth ranked player in the world or the hundredth ranked player in the world is not putting on. He may just not be able to hit it as far as you. Maybe he's just not as good as you. But I don't think anybody on the PGA Tour has gotten there by skating. And, They're and, all working and, hard. And, and, and maybe they have. We we don't know if some people have got there by skating. But I guarantee you, there's yeah. a lot more people there that got yeah. there because they grinded yeah. and grinded and grinded. And again. It's important to move from 70th to 60th yes. in the money list in the FedEx Cup standing. It's a big, big, massive yeah. jump to jump 20 spots. I just don't want to downplay what other players have done. Billy Horschel's a guy that puts in the work. And we he all does. know that. He does. Billy Horschel's a guy that's dedicated in the gym. He's dedicated in his practice. He plays a lot of golf tournaments. He goes over and plays European tour events. Billy yeah. Horschel does a lot. Yeah. And I'm very, very impressed by Billy Horschel and what he has done in his career. But yeah. that is one thing I didn't yeah. love is let's not go after the dedication because, again, you could work really, really hard as a professional bass player and never be as good as Steph. Yeah. Steph can just do it. Steph sees the basket, and three-pointers make sense to him. Tiger saw fairways. Yeah. It made sense to him, and it's a lot tougher for certain players. But again, being on the PGA Tour is an accomplishment. It's yeah. very, very impressive. And I think some of the, the highly paid PGA Tour stars are seeing what the other stars and other sports are making and saying, right. wait, why do they get a bigger piece of the TV contract than I do? And I think this is kind of... The story of the last year, as these rival leagues have been rumored and potentially popping up, that you know, you just don't want those headlines to take away from a great duel between Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa, or between John Rahm and, and Rory McIlroy. You don't want the headlines of, of these stories to take away from the product on the field. I want to hear about players, you know, being in the locker room crying because they didn't win said tournament. You know, Magic Johnson, famously in 84, when they lost to Larry Bird and the Celtics, he didn't get out of the locker room for, like, days. He just wanted to stay there and cry and sulk. Didn't leave his house for weeks. They called him tragic, you know, for, for quote, choking in a big spot. Came back the next year and won the whole darn thing. I, the, the, the fan at home wants to believe that it's not about the money at the end of the day, even if a big part of it is. Damon, what has been the moment that you and I brought up the most on this show this year, the moment that I feel like touched us past the golf? It's Roy McIlroy yeah. at the Ryder Cup. He was emotional after winning a match. He was emotional because the team didn't win. He felt like he didn't play as well. You know how much money he got for the Ryder Cup that week? Nothing. Nada. Zero. Mm. It's a passionate project for these yeah. players. It's a big, big moment to go out there and represent your country and play in a Ryder Cup. And you saw emotion come out of a Rory that you don't see in any yeah. other tour event. This is a sport, sports passion. Sport is supposed to be passionate. You supposed said it. to be. Sitting in the locker room after a win or a loss and, and dealing with your thoughts and dealing with what you went through and all that went into either winning, what yes. a moment that is, or losing. I got to the Super Bowl and I lost. I wonder if I'll ever get here again. That's what sport yeah. is. And I do feel like we're sitting up here a lot right now talking about shuffling money around. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure the golf fan totally 
cares about it. I think they care where all this ends, yeah. but I'm not sure they care if some guy makes $8 million or $10 million. Well, guess what? We're going to keep the money talk going Let's for go. just a little bit longer and bring in Rex Hogger, senior writer, Golf Channel down in Sea Island. Great to see you, my friend. There have been rumblings of a lucrative shift in PGA Tour's fall schedule. What have you heard about this proposed fall series? Damon, and this is really what Billy was talking about in that press conference, and I've spoken with a couple of sources who have been briefed on the general concept, and let's be clear, there are no details. It is very much a fluid situation, but the idea is to have four, five, six events in the fall around the globe. There would probably be two or three in the United States, and yes, the idea would be to reward the top players with guaranteed money. Now, the way it's been explained to me, there would be two kinds of compensation. There would be a normal purse for the winner's second place, just like we've always had on the PGA Tour. And then there would be guaranteed money, and this would be based on either your FedEx Cup finish to finish the, fall, the previous year or your current world ranking right now. So it would depend on 1 through 40, 1 through 60. Those players would get guaranteed money to do this. And the other half of this equation is what happens to the fall events. Those top 40, those top 60 players, they need to be assured that they're positioned on the FedEx Cup ranking is locked in. So there are a lot of moving parts with this as well as the money. Rex, what are the players saying about this potential project? Well, and I agree with you guys. That was a really good debate that you just had. Fans don't want to hear about money. And one of the players that I spoke to maybe put it a little bit better way. And the way he, he described it is something we've always fallen back on in golf. Play better. That's really what this is about. James Hahn, who is a member of the policy board, and made it clear that he wasn't talking about any specifics of what they may or may not have talked about. This is entirely his opinion. The way he explained it to me is we have events. Let's take these fall events like this weekend's RSM Classic where you don't get the top players. His idea is why would we hold events if we don't have the absolute best players playing in that field at the best golf courses going against each other? Why would we have events just to reach a number, 25, 26 events, whatever it might be? This is all about reimagining what the tour would look like. You're right. No one wants to hear about money. But what they're talking about right now would be a dramatic change. And it's important to point out, I talked to a half a dozen players last week in Houston, and they all agreed the top players have to be better compensated, and if that means guaranteed money, so be it, and they need to be protected. Be sure to check out Rex's story right now on GolfChannel.com. We appreciate his reporting from Sea Island this afternoon. I tell you what, how slippery of a slope is this, do you think, as Billy Horsell stood up there and talked about money, and Rex is talking about this series and protecting the players here and what happens nope, to thanks, kind you. of the, the, the groundbreaking, the... the the, the worker bees, as it were. What's going to happen? And how slippery of a slope is this? Are we going to see kind of like a two-tiered tour? It, it sounds like it. I mean, I don't know if we'll go this way, but it definitely sounds, again, like the top stars are asking for more. And, I mean, yeah. maybe they feel like they deserve it. Maybe they do deserve it. I mean, we sit up here and talk about every single golf tournament that is played, and certain fields just aren't equal sure. to big events that we see each and every season. But I will say this, and, and I think it's important to point this out, and maybe this is a one-off type of situation, but we mentioned this yesterday on the show, D, the fall series, right? This yeah. is a, a time of the year where NFL's on and NBA's starting. You have baseball playoffs. There's a lot going on college football. We'll have Joel Klatt come on in the next segment to talk about. But this season alone, we've had Max Homa, Sam Burns, Sungjae, Rory, Hideki, and Victor Hovland yeah. take home trophies in these fall series. These are superstars. Yeah. These are superstars playing for titles on a Sunday at a PGA Tour event, they're getting adequately yeah. compensated for playing well. For sure. They're getting adequately compensated because they went out there and played well in the fall series. So, again, 
I don't know where this is going. I mean, there is so much noise about this, yeah. D. We're hearing it every single day. Podcasts are diving deep into the other tours. I mean, we're seeing everything yeah. about this. And now players are speaking up in front of the media. I know there's been rumblings about this away from the media, but now players are standing up in a microphone and saying, I feel like yeah. the top players should, should, should earn more money. So, I mean, who knows where we're going to be mid-December, yeah. mid-January with this. I wonder if some of those players you just mentioned, winners in the fall series already, will be doing something else, playing a different venue this time next year. Well, coming up next, you mentioned him, Joel Klatt, Fox College football analyst. Going to join the show, talk a little golf, talk a little college football, with some big games coming up this weekend. Joel is next. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear debris with the 40-volt jet fan leaf blower. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let me tell you about my friend Joel Klatt. This guy played professional baseball. And then he was a college quarterback. And then he's a scratch golfer. <laughs> it's annoying how talented Joel Klatt is. Finally, happy to get his first ace. You see him posing, super happy. You're not at all jealous. Nope, none, zero percent jealous to hear. Now, this was pre your own this age. This was pre okay. ace. This is when okay. you hate everybody that right. makes a hole in one. Of course. Well, I hate everybody. Oh, there you go. That's, a, that's very, very <laughs> important. And then. You know, I mean, then I, then I, I, I was lucky to, to check it off the list, finally. Vince Carter. Yeah, it was over. It was, in fact, over. Knocked it in, and now, you know, Joel can never have that on me anymore. And now team hole in one. Joel Klatt joins the program now. Joel, we appreciate it. Holes in one. We now have them. I'm now part of the crew. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. Joel Klatt golf takes is, in fact, about the hole in one, specifically the reaction from other people. Can you clue us in? on what you uh, bring up every time somebody makes an ace. Well, it, it, listen, the hole-in-one club, everyone wants to be in it. It's not all it's cracked up to be because you make one and you're so excited and you're like, hey, man, I made a hole-in-one. And then inevitably the person's like, let me tell you about my hole-in-one. <laughs> and then they tell you about your, their hole-in-one. It's like, listen, I don't care about your hole-in-one. I want to talk about my <laughs> hole-in-one, right? So golfers are inherently selfish. So you make a hole-in-one and all you have to do is hear about some guy hitting a five wood from 103 and it rolling around their edge and it goes in and you're just like, I don't care. I love a five wood from 103. That might be me. <laughs> off a That'll tree. be mine when I'm like 70. Mine went off yeah. the car path. Yeah. You know, it hit the stick and went in. I know. I feel you there. All right, Joel. You're good at everything. Broadcasting. You played pro baseball, starting QB in college. Now you're golf obsessed. Like, what's been the toughest sport for you to get better at? Golf. Oh, my gosh. Golf. You know, the other sports, there's, there's an element of effort. 
that is rewarded in other sports. And really my whole life, I played basketball growing up as well. And I didn't really gravitate towards golf until I was done playing football. And, and I just thought like, oh, I'll just try harder and I'll get better. Nope, not the case. This is like a non-effort. And, and I used to have, there was this guy and he was standing on the range and I would just be grinding away hole, you know, hole in my golf glove. And I'd be like, I just got to keep working on this, keep working and try harder. And he was like, do, do me a favor try a little less. And I was like, try a little less, get out of here. What do you mean? Try less. That's, it's like a game of trying less. And, uh, it's certainly been the hardest to get good at. There's no doubt. How is the golf game these days? I know you, uh, you were kind of a high of highs last year. And then I got the Joel Clack call this summer and maybe the lows <laughs> of lows. Where are we at right now with the golf game? How, how is it? Uh, I was pretty confident, but as anybody that's played this game for more than 37 seconds knows, um, it's it's right around the corner from disaster. And so I'm like, you know what? I've, I've gotten pretty good. I'm going to go try a qualifier. So I signed up for the local U.S. Open qualifier last year. And, you know, I played a practice round. I shot a, a 71 with a couple other guys. And they were like, hey, man, you, you know, you do that again, you might get through local. And I'm like, yeah, never played competitive golf in my life. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to roll out here and just, you know, take over this. I made a 12 on the second hole. <laughs> a 12. Folks, you pump two OB on the second hole and you're thinking to yourself like, why am I out here? You're rethinking your entire life. So yeah, it was a pretty difficult day. Uh, ended up, I don't know, I think I shot a 90 that mm. day. I haven't shot a 90 and I don't know how long, but a 12, man, it's, that was pretty embarrassing. 12, uh, 12 is a good number in college football, 12th man, 12, not a good mm. number in golf. But I do have a, a couple college football questions right. for you. College football right now to me feels a little like the early 2000s in golf. There's one super-duper star, Tiger, of course, early 2000s, Alabama right now, and then there's a revolving door of everybody else. Is Bama's dominance good right now for college football? I think it actually is. The interest in college football has never been higher than it has been this year. The, the ratings across networks uh, would suggest that. And granted, Bama is not as dominant this particular season as what they have been in the past. Georgia seems to be that team that is, is kind of the runaway freight train right now at the, at the, at the top of college football. But I, I would just say, like, when did... When was the NBA at its at its peak? It was the dominance of Magic and Bird and then Jordan. When was golf at its peak? It's the dominance of Tiger Woods. I think people want to see greatness. When was boxing great with Muhammad Ali and even Mike Tyson when he was knocking people out early in his career? People gravitate towards greatness. And so I think even if we have it in college football, while more teams or fan bases would want top-end success, I think people gravitate towards things that are great and historically great, and that's what Alabama has been over the last 12 years. Love it. People want greatness. They also want greatness challenge. So what, in your opinion, is the most important factor to making the playoff? Is it the record, strength of schedule, head-to-head, -head, how a team is playing at the end of the year? What matters most in your mind? Well, if you're not familiar with college football, maybe some of your viewers aren't, we have this 13-person committee that gets in a room, and then they're just like, these are the four best teams. Now go have a playoff. <laughs> it's kind of insane, right? I mean, can you imagine that in golf? There's very few objective standards. It's very subjective. So, Damon, the number one key, send a gift basket to all 13 people for Christmas. That's where you would start and make sure it arrives before December 1st. Having said that, though, college has always rewarded teams that are just undefeated versus one loss. So strength of schedule, it tends to get used sometimes and not others. Strength of wins, strength of record, you know, 
To be honest with you, I cover the sport for a living. I couldn't even tell you exactly which criteria they're going to use on a week-in and week-out basis. It's well, somewhat maddening. Our teams have strength of nothing yeah. in 2021, <laughs> Joel. So, our, you know, we're, we're not even battling for the playoffs. UCLA had a great start, beat LSU, came back to Earth. Arizona, yeah. one of the worst teams in the country. Can you say something nice at all about UCLA and Arizona? Well, I do. Listen, UCLA is much better this year than they have been in the past. The win against LSU was was terrific for them. And I do think they're the best team in L.A. And this week they do play the Trojans of, yes. of USC. So you can hang your hat on that. And, and Shane, Arizona did not go winless. That's it. That's a, go. that's a win. That's a win. Uh, that's, that's a win. That's a that's nice a thing to say. Uh, last thing before we let you go, you have a, a great Tiger take about Tiger's success in a sport that isn't supposed to be attainable. It's not supposed to be perfected. What's your take on Tiger kind of pre-Y.E. Yang? Well, yeah, exa well, exactly. You bring up Y.E. Yang because that was the first scar tissue that he ever had. And I'm not talking about physical scar tissue. I'm talking about competitive scar tissue. And being a quarterback, quarterback is one of the closest things to being a golfer because as a quarterback, you're playing a team sport and yet it's somewhat individual. And you and you develop scar tissue through interceptions you threw. And I certainly threw my fair share and guys do that all the time. But the, the, the fewer times that you make mistakes in big moments, the less competitive scar tissue that you have and the more confidence that you play with. So everyone used to talk about the fact that, oh, Tiger is so confident. I just felt like he was always so much more free than others because he didn't have the competitive scar tissue that others had. He wasn't thinking about the shot that he missed. He was thinking about the countless that he made. And that's what made him so great. And that was oozing out of him. It was just a, a freeness that only happens when you don't have that competitive scar tissue that comes up from losses or poor shots or poor performances. And until Y.E. Yang, we hadn't seen it. We, I mean, not even in the, in the junior ranks. He had won everything. He never lost. You never lose <laughs> in golf. What, a, what an individual talent yeah. for Tiger Woods. Who you got this weekend, Joel? I've got Iowa State at Oklahoma. The next week, a big one, we'll have Michigan and Ohio State in the game before the Big Ten Championship. So coming down the stretch here. Uh, but trust me when I tell you this, I always have Golf Channel on in my office. Yeah. Always. Well, there you go. Because we like to hear that, Joel. That's a good folks, thing to say. I've, I've got to watch Shane, one. And two, I'm golf obsessed. I love the sport. Joel Clatt. We're, we're, we're Joel Clatt obsessed. I'll say that. Joel, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for stopping by, buddy. <laughs> You bet. Have a good day, guys. All right, coming up, we're going to take a, a crack. You get that? See a crack yeah. at the most recent winner on the PJ Tour. Joseph Jason Kokrak is going to join us. He won in Texas. He's winning all over the place. He's going to join the program. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Back on golf today it was last fall and his 233rd start on the PGA Tour. Jason Kokrak finally became a winner, taking the title at the CJ Cup Shadow Creek, Vegas. Kokrak matched the best round of the tournament with a final round 64 to overcome a three-shot deficit. Pretty impressive. And then he's just continued to win. See? You win once and then you just keep winning, right? Dude. You taste it. This one was really good. Everyone's, you know, shouting for Jordan Spieth. And you beat him in Fort Worth. I, I was watching this at home, Shane. I was like, this is impressive. Jason Krokrak has a tough chin. You better have a big front door to get that trophy in. Yeah. No apartment door gets in that one. And on Sunday, it was Krokrak rally to win in Houston. Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open, his third career win on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I tell you what, he's figured it out. It's hard to win on the PGA Tour, but that's three wins 
recent vintage. You take a look at the percentage of finishes <laughs> in the top 25. Last 28 starts 43% of the time. Crazy. You see the three wins, six top 10 finishes in his last 28 starts. And guess what? Jason is in Cleveland, but he's joining us on this Wednesday edition of Golf Today. First of all, thanks for spending some time with us, Jason. What's the afterglow of winning like, the, the hours, the, the days that follow? Um, you know, it was uh, quite the roller coaster ride uh, that we had uh, last week in Houston. Uh, then uh, I hopped on a flight. Uh, I told Brooks Kepka I'd come down there uh, to Florida to play his uh, foundation event. So hopped on a plane, went down there, had a few uh, drinks with the with the guys, and then uh, teed it up the next day, played some more golf. And then uh, I'm, I'm back here in Cleveland, back home, uh, enjoying a little bit of family time and, uh, you know, trying to enjoy the moment and uh, have a little bit of an offseason. Jason, we always talk about how winning is such a skill in golf. How has the skill set of winning evolved for you over the last year? I mean, it, it's just, I think uh, for me, it was uh, a long time coming. It was just a matter of time uh, before I actually got it done. So uh, very pleased. And, uh, you know, for the fickle minds of the PGA Tour players, uh, a little bit of confidence goes a long way. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, a, a, an incredible green reader and David Robinson and uh, a hot putter like mine uh, goes uh, even a little bit further. Speaking of a hot putter, you know, earlier we talked about Jin Young Ko on the LPGA saying she is playing, quote, almost perfect golf right now. What is the closest you have felt, Jason, to playing perfect golf? Ooh, uh, I don't know if uh, there is a such a thing as perfect golf uh, when you hit it uh, about as far as I do. And I'm not the longest guy anymore, but uh, it's it's incredibly difficult. to. It's a sport that you can't master. Uh, golf courses change day to day, minute to minute, that uh, no shot's the same. So uh, definitely uh, one sport that is not, uh, you cannot perfect. And uh, But if I had to say one, I think uh, the final round at CJ Cup was probably uh, the best um, I could come to playing perfect golf. I felt like I was on cruise control, and, you know, it's a little easier out there in Vegas. The ball doesn't curve as much. Jason, so what would you have to shoot to call it a perfect round? Like, would you have to shoot 56? I mean, if you shot 59, would you consider that a perfect round of golf? Did it have to be lower? What's the deal? Well, I think uh, I've never shot 59 before. So, uh, yeah, if I shot 59, then I'd say that would be a perfect round. That's your perfect as, round. As close as you could get to a perfect round. I haven't round. shot 59 either. Yeah. Yeah. Neither, we sure. haven't either, just in case you were wondering. Now, we see players kind of find new <laughs> levels in this sport occasionally. I'm always interested in where it started. What was the moment that you decided to either take your game to a new level or change some things to work out some of the issues in your game? How did that process get off the ground for you? Well, I think I had a swing coach uh, that kind of taught me the game uh, as a young kid, Joe Allen, uh, from my hometown. I've uh, been a longtime friend. And then um, the last four to five years, I've worked with Drew Steckel, uh, keeping my game, uh, I guess, a little bit more intact, a little bit more, um, you know, consistent. Um, I used to hit a lot, of a lot of drivers offline, curve the ball quite a bit with my iron. So I think just kind of limiting and uh, learning what I need to do in the golf swing to hit certain shots uh, at certain times in, in, under the under the gun or in the moment that um, it makes it uh, a little bit easier. But nonetheless, you still have to get up there on the putting green and uh, and make the putt. So I got to hand it, uh, hand it to D-Rob. I, I went cross-handed a few years ago, told me to stick with it. Uh, lengthen the, the, the putter to 36 inches because I'm a tall guy, get a little bit more comfortable over the ball, and 
uh, I think just kind of sticking with uh, the clubs that I got in my bag and, you know, learning that I know uh, I know what to do with them. Jason, I don't know if you know this, you got some Ryder Cup run. I mean, you were in the discussion, man. President's Cup is next. How do you approach making one of those hard-to-make teams? Um, yeah, it's incredibly hard. Uh, the, limited to uh, a few guys, a few picks. Um, Steve called me. Uh, was, I, I, I can't say that I wasn't disappointed uh, that he wasn't going to pick me, but I knew I was in the conversation. Always nice to be uh, a part of the conversation, and uh, I hope that uh, if I can continue to play like I'm, go I'm playing now, uh, I, I hope to be a part of those teams uh, a little bit more often. Jason, I come up with a lot of really stupid ideas. This might be my dumbest. Steven Damon Hack might walk off the set when I bring this up. But you know how Phil Mickelson always says he's hitting bombs, and now when you think of hitting bombs, you think of Phil Mickelson. I think I've got something you need to start throwing out there in kind of post-round interviews and stuff. I think you need to start saying, I released the Kraken. You know what I'm saying off Clash of the Titans? So that's when you hit just a yeah. missile off the tee or you're hitting a drive. You guys could even, you know, the microphones are around and you hit a big tee shot. You could throw that in as well. Is that something you think you might adopt? Uh, possibly. possibly. I'll, uh, I'll have to work in. I think it's better if, I, I think it's, uh, better if other people yell at so or scream. And I think my we, brother actually we can start uh, saying it. screamed it out mm. a couple times. Yeah. All by right. all means, all by right. all means. We got uh, more stupid stuff. Bring it, but I, I, I can still hit, I can still hit some bombs. <laughs> you can, you can hit some bombs and release the co-cracking. We got another game. It's called the. It's time to give it a crack. You know, you're like a bold guy. Apparently, you're daring. You said, "Come to Cleveland, we'll do some crazy stuff." So I want to know, would you give a crack to eating escargot? We're talking snails. You're in Paris, and you got a plate of snails sitting in some butter and some juice. Yeah. Are you gonna eat that? Yeah, sounds amazing. Uh, I, I would, I would order it. Yeah, order I'm all it. for it. O order it. I order actually, it. Uh, I, I got it. Yeah, I, uh, I have to uh, give credit where credit is due. Longtime friend Steve Wheatcroft introduced me to uh, to that uh, appetizer or whatever you want to call it. So I, uh, I every once in a while, it's not something I order every time, but uh, I will. Weedy's, I will. Uh, I will indulge myself. Weedy's a wine guy too. Weedy's a wine guy, as you probably know. So if you got some good wine. With the escargot, you're rolling. Yeah, escargot is like bowling. You don't want to do it every month, yeah. but maybe once every yeah. quarter. It's a nice thing to throw in there. How about uh, how about Survivor? <laughs> how about being on Survivor? Would you give Survivor a crack? Ooh. Uh, I think I'd be all right at that. Uh, not that I would want to be out and dropped in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that's not my uh, my first thing. But yeah, I think I'd be all right at that. Um, <laughs> I was a Boy Scout growing up. I think I could. Uh, I think I could survive just fine. Speaking of dropped in the middle of nowhere, and like you're a big guy. I remember walking by you saying, "What's up?" At Wingfoot, <laughs> I'm a big guy. I'm not skydiving because I'm just too big. Would you? Would you skydive? You know, worried about the, the the pulleys and everything, or are you are you out? Would you give it a crack? Uh, I think I'm out on the skydiving. I'm, See, I, I'm a big guy, and uh, I'm uh, I, I'm going to be falling to the ground fast. What, what about TV? Would you give uh, TV Ooh. broadcasting a crack? You know, you, you kind of, you get, you're getting later in your TV. years, you're looking for something to do. Would, would TV be something you'd <laughs> give a crack to? Well, I just started radio last year uh, with Sirius XM, so uh, you never know. I'm not going to say no right now, but uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's definitely within the realm. Yeah, radio's the gateway drug to there TV. You there right there you it. go. You get right into it.
All right, Coke Rack. Listen, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. We'll, we'll see you in Cleveland. Enjoy the short offseason, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. There he is. Three-time winner on the PGA Tour, Jason. Coke Rack still to come on Golf Today. We're giving a shout-out to all the Southpaws oh, in golf, including Shane really Lakin. Nice. It's nice of you to do. Special on this date in history. Has this thing a little lefty appreciation. Yeah, you're complimenting yeah. me? Got it. We got plenty more of the second hour of golf today on a Wednesday. Sophia Popoff will join the program to talk about the finale on the LPGA Tour. We got Sam Bennett joining the program as well. He's got a crazy story from a week ago. The Texas A&M senior has had an incredible year, but you'll love the story. An extra club in the golf bag. And about world records, some golf world records. Damon and I are going to be quizzed on some we have no idea about. Let's see how we do. Golf Today, brought to you by PointsBet. Golf Today on a Wednesday, Damon Hack and Shane Bacon barreling through your television screen at home. Speaking of home, how much fun was it talking to Jason Kokrak at home, in his home office? He's a pretty funny guy. Golfers have offices. These are things I'm learning. Yeah. I, I don't realize why you would, in, in theory, have an office. I mean, you don't really, your office is the golf course. Trophies. The driving range. You got to put trophies Clubs. in place. He actually gave us a little tour before the interview started so we could see what a golfer's office looks like. And anyway, I think it was pretty complete. I'm glad he did it before the interview started because it was a little bit blurry and a little <laughs> pixelated. We might have had some, like, technical difficulties. Better that he did it before, but he's got a pretty impressive office. Uh, impressive as well this year has been Lydia Ko. Oh. What Lydia Ko has done this year, we've talked a lot about Nelly and we've talked a lot about Jin Young, and we should spend a lot of time mm. on those two players. But we also need to talk about what Lydia Ko has done in 2021. It's kind of been the reemergence of one of the great players in women's golf back in April. Back in the winner's circle, Lotte Championship, her first victory since 2018. Yeah, just Lydia Ko, hey. seeing her smile, seeing how popular she is. Pouring champagne, now that's that's okay. You don't like the water. Yeah, the water's out, but that was champagne. I'm in on that. So nice to see Lydia Ko winning. She wasn't done after the win at the Lotte. Just a few weeks ago, Lydia shot a final round 65 to win the Saudi Ladies International by five shots for her second worldwide win of the year. How is the year? The year's been great. Let's not forget the bronze medal that she won in Tokyo. Easy to forget. And you don't like the forgetting, you know, people seem to kind of overlook Nelly's gold. Yeah, I mean, you, you won a medal. Took home a bronze medal yeah. at the Olympics. Has been great at the Olympic Games. Yes, Lydia Ko, you see the 19 events, 10 top 10 finishes. The victory second <laughs> in a major trying to chase down Patty Tavitanikit of UCLA. She puts her year into perspective. Definitely feel like I've been playing pretty consistently well. Um, you know, I didn't start off really well at BMW, and then I kind of climbed back into uh, finishing tied third, and then just been feeding off momentum and just enjoying it out there. I think I've been less result orientated and kind of thinking, you know, what's meant to be is going to be, and um, that's kind of what Sean told me. So. Yeah, you know, thinking of that mindset, but at the same time, you know, being 100% focused out there and just just enjoying being out there. The more times you put yourself in contention, you know, you get, you know, confidence from that. And then I feel like it's like a seesaw. At one point, it's going to tip towards your way. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's been great to kind of put myself uh, in those kind of positions and feel 
you know, what it's like to be back there again, you know, the pressure, the, the stress or just the adrenaline that, you know, when you're in contention or in the final few groups. So I think it's, it's a great place to be at and hopefully, you know, I'll be able to feed off all of those, you know, positive, um, you know, results and momentum into this week and finish off my season strong. I think one thing everybody can agree on is golf is better when Lydia Ko is playing well and winning. So what is a word, D, to describe Lydia Ko's 2021? Redemptive. I think it's been a redemptive year for one of the most important players in the game. An argument can be made that Lydia Ko, the start to her career, has been one of the greatest that we've ever seen. You could say Bobby Jones, Tiger Woods, you can, you know, Jack Nicklaus. There's only a handful, Nancy Lopez. And I think Lydia Ko deserves a seat at that table at the age of 24 with 16 wins. On the resume, two of them major championships. It's not just the grace in which she plays, also how she carries herself. And when I talked to, to Nellie Corda a few weeks back at Baltusrol, I said, do you remember the moment on the medal stand in Tokyo? I said, what was going on there? Like, you had the mask situation, and, like, and like there was Lydia Ko kind of making sure that Nellie, like, looked good for the pictures because the mask had, like, left an indentation on her face. I mean, what other person or player in her own moment of winning a bronze, is going to be so concerned about how someone, are you okay? Is everything all right? That's kind of the spirit of who Lydia Ko is. And I think when she's playing great golf, when it looks as beautiful as it does, so graceful, her short game, her long game, all aspects working together, it's really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the numbers. I mean, Lydia Ko is one of the true underrated athletes mm. in sport today with what she was able to do at a young age and what she has continued to do. But her year was necessary. I would say mm. it was very, very necessary when you go back to 2020 and you think about what Lydia Ko was trying to do and you go to that Marathon LPGA Classic, I mean, she's walking to a victory. Yeah. 18th hole is a par five. It looks like she's finally going to get the victory. And she makes this brutal double bogey and hands the trophy to Danielle Kang. And that's when the questions start. I mean, how are you going to get this done? They're typical questions that you ask when somebody has a struggle late. We asked mm. a lot of those questions on Monday about Lexi Thompson. You know, where mm. does she go from here? How can she get past whatever that mental hurdle is? I mean, for Lydia Ko, there was a hurdle there for her. She was struggling with the golf game, struggling with a lot of the stuff mm. outside the ropes as well when it comes to being a professional golfer. This year has been necessary. She's back to playing consistent golf. She's back to winning golf tournaments. She's back to getting herself in contention in major championships. Lydia Ko is the type of player the LPGA Tour needs. They've got to have superstars. Lydia Ko is a superstar, and Lydia Ko is the type of player that the talent could carry her to four or five wins, much like we saw this year with Jin Young and Nelly. A couple things I recognize is that the turbulence that we saw at times early in her career, new clubs, new coaches, new caddies, it's very calm and quiet in her camp. And even as we talk about the grace that she has as a person, don't underestimate her toughness to be able to overcome some of the things that she's had to overcome, including you know, being lost as it looked on the golf course and not knowing where the golf ball was going and that tough defeat you talked about to Daniel King. She has bounced back from that. I think Sean Foley, her coach, deserves a lot of credit for getting the athlete back onto the golf course. He thought she had lost too much weight, kind of put a little weight back on her body to hit the ball a long way as the modern game demands. But I think she can be very graceful, but don't underestimate her toughness as well. Yeah, I mean, she's a, a type of player reminds me a, a little bit of kind of that quiet Jordan Spieth mold. And we yeah. talk a lot about Jordan Spieth and Lydia Ko in terms of types of players. Both came on in similar yeah, times. Gosh, they came yeah. off in similar fashions. But they just simply go about their business, and it looks very professional. Yeah. You know, when they're playing golf, it's not too high, it's not too low. They just do what they're supposed to do. We talked about perfection 
earlier today in mm. golf. And perfection's unattainable when you really talk about it in this sport. But those two players look like they're trying to find perfect yeah. out on the golf course. It looks like they think it's attainable. And I think Lydia Ko, again, going out next season and winning this season was very necessary. And I feel like going forward, she'll look back on 2021 as kind of that next step in her career. I think it's hard to transcend golf for golfers. I, I think there's been a handful of players to do it. Obviously, Tiger and Phil are two who have done it. I think Jordan Spieth has done it. I think Nancy Lopez did it as well. And I do think that Lydia Ko has transcended the game where she has played so well, so young. And Michelle Wee, for example, competing against the men was a name that people outside of the golf realm, oh, I want to pay attention to her. What is she trying to do? I think Lydia Ko's quality of play was so good early that she transcended the bounds of golf. Uh, D, we got some uh, big news here. Big news got? from the LPGA Tour is today they announced that in 2022, the purse for the CME Group Tour Championship will increase from $5 million to $7 million with the winner taking home a cool $2 million check. This will be the largest single prize in the history of women's golf. That is big, big news. And if you do want to talk about money in this game, I do think the LPGA deserves a little bit of a raise relative to the fellas. A look at the race of the CME Globe and where these players are sitting with one event left. And it's an up-for-grab situation. You go out there and win this week, and you win. It is it is a true playoff type of format, D. It is, and someone who'll be looking to win is number 55, Sophia Popoff. She is a major champ, and she's going to join us. Well, how about right now? Sophia, it's great to see you. It's Damon and Shane. As someone who loves the Olympics, we were talking about the Olympics just a bit ago. I love covering it. What was it like competing in Tokyo for you? Um... It was amazing. Uh, I think it's it's always been a dream of mine to play there. Um, actually, it wasn't always, <laughs> but it became one uh, when I realized that I could actually make that dream come true. And um, it was it was quite incredible. I think uh, just it wasn't like any other any other tournament. It was more one of those where uh, you're kind of just excited to be part of something bigger, some an athlete that's at the Olympics, at the greatest sporting event there really is uh, for any athlete out there. And um, I think that was very special just to be able to um, finally get that uh, tattoo. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but, but it's coming. <laughs> I just don't know where. Off season. Uh, but that was pretty special. That's an off-season type of situation. Uh, Sophia, I know golf can be an up-and-down type of deal. It's a very, very tough sport. I know you're not playing the way you hope to be playing right now. What's the most important thing to bring to tournaments each week when the game isn't where you want it to be? Honestly, um, a positive attitude. I think uh, I'm still, I have to remind myself that I'm still in a position where um, I, you know, I would have, I couldn't have dreamt of probably two years ago. Um, and after, after winning last year and really playing some great golf at the beginning of this year and, and, and midway through the year, um, I think I still am where I deserve to be at the end of the year. Um, finally, actually at uh, the CME finals, which is quite nice. Um, but I just have to remind myself of that and why I'm here and, and, and that I can play good golf. You know, I played golf, good golf even last week. I just, I didn't make uh, the, the, the putts when I had to. And uh, just little things that really uh, are a difference maker between maybe an event that I played four months ago versus now. So yeah, golf is very up and down and um, I find myself in a little bit of a down now, but uh, I still have to, you know, remind myself of where I really am because I think I'm still in the top 60 um, in the CME points list and and therefore still have uh, 
I could still win this week. So um, I had I had a great range session in the last two days. So hopefully uh, I can take some positives out of that and just, um, you know, find myself out there a little bit. Well, you mentioned that major, Sophia. It was historic. It was life-changing. You became a name in the game. You said yes to every interview. I mean, you were everywhere. How much of an adjustment has that been for you, having a bigger profile? Because I imagine it's not always easy. Yeah, it's definitely um, something that I had to learn to deal with. Uh, I think the word no still doesn't really exist in my vocabulary. I'm working on it. I'm trying. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, um, it's it's a position that any any player would like to be in uh, following a win like that. And uh, so it's something that's very special. And uh, every interview that I do, I, I take it in and uh, I enjoy it. And, and it's part of me, too. I think my personality uh, just... I think sets up well for it too. I, I, I enjoy that part and in interacting with, with fans and media. So um, it's definitely been a little bit uh, more time consuming this year. I um, mean, it was very good. It was a great learning process. I know after this year, I think a little bit more about how I want to do things next year, uh, as far as how I'm going to um, schedule my events, uh, my time, uh, my me time, uh, all that stuff, I think, was it was just great, a great learning process this year. Sophia, I want to talk about the Solheim Cup week. I'm always interested in players' experiences there. Run us through the week and maybe a moment that was the coolest for you. Um, it was, it was definitely the most nerve-wracking week I've ever had. Uh, definitely that first tee shot, especially in the afternoon, um, since I didn't play the foursome in the morning, uh, was just something I've never experienced before. It was. It was wild, literally wild. I was just hoping to hit somewhere close to the center of the face of my three wood. Um, but I think just the energy from all the spectators and then um, and then just the team energy that we had, it was incredible. That first foursome I was able to play with Carlotta and the way she just made me feel like I am playing a lot better golf and and, and therefore pushing me to, to make putts and, and, and hit great golf shots. I think that was incredible. Um, I, I, I don't know what my favorite moment was, but I just, I just enjoyed the process of even just getting ready the first few days of being there and being something, being part of something a lot bigger than yourself and not only playing for yourself. I love that environment. I love playing for my teammates, um, and having a different purpose than I do every other week of the year. So I think that's just so special in itself. And then kind of having to play against players that are also very good friends of yours is a very interesting dynamic that I, I think I didn't quite understand before going into that week. So I think that was something that was very cool. I just, I, I just enjoyed every, every minute of it. Sophia, it's been a long, long season for so many professionals. You've had the Olympics, you've had the Solheim Cup. So I want you to power rank what you're most excited about doing this offseason. Maybe give us three things that you're super excited that do not involve the game of golf. Um, I'm so excited for off season. <laughs> um, I don't even know if I can rank three things, but, uh, I think one thing that's just, uh, underrated, but it's going to be my number three is, is just being at home, <laughs> just, uh, sleeping in my own bed, um, and, and enjoying family time. Uh, actually I, I love my family. They're number one, but it's still number three. <laughs> uh, number two is something that, I love doing. I'm not even sure I should be mentioning, but I love skiing, so it's it's on the agenda. <laughs> and then uh, number one, um, I think 
Oh, it's a tough, it's a tough one, but I think I have a trip planned or I don't think I have a trip planned. Um, so just some vacation time, um, outside of, and which is not skiing and just honestly doing other things. I love hiking. I love surfing. I love all that. So hint, hint, <laughs> um, something, something along the lines of, of, of that, um, is what I'm really, really looking forward to. But I think all in all, just spending some quality family time and, um, and getting everyone together over Thanksgiving soon. Love it. Family's important. Skiing is big. I'm a big skier. I may see you in Colorado in December if you're headed that way. Most importantly, best of luck to you in <laughs> Naples this week.